Okay, I'm going to give you all the non-grotesque, hopefully, breakdown on a medical update and then get ready for a physics lesson for the ages. But before then, we're going to do a quick follow-up segment from something we talked about before. And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set. With your host... Darren Star. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I am Darren Starr, and I'm a full-time online prep coach and have been since 2012. You can check me out at 5starphysique.com and read about my coaching programs, check out workout programs that I have available, read articles, and... Most importantly, you can click on the podcast button at the top or go straight to thedropset.com to vote on the most recent poll question posted at the top of the page. It is really kind of hard to believe that I've been doing this since December of 2016, but here we are. We're over 200 episodes in and we're still kicking. It's crazy stuff. Now, this show thrives on and exists only because of you, the listener. So I thank you for being here and also encourage you to contribute your questions and discussion topics. You can email me at Darren at five star fitness.com or more easily click on contact from five star physique.com and submit your question in the form. You can also find me on social media at Darren underscore star on Instagram is probably the best way to go there. Please also give a rating like thumbs up review or whatever is appropriate for whatever platform you're listening to this on and please share the episodes you like and tag me in your posts i appreciate it tremendously and it helps us here reach a bigger audience which makes it more likely that i can nab higher profile guests for future interviews so with that being said let's get on with it Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 210 of The Drop Set. Once again, waving to everybody in YouTube land and saying a verbal hello to everybody in podcast land. we got a lot of stuff to dive into today. i got a few topics I want to cover. Uh, a what I guess we would call this a follow-up segment from a previous episode. We're going to get into that. First things first, I want to direct everybody to the brand new page at thedropset.com. This has been revamped a little bit. Really what I did is I took a bunch of crap and I got it out of there and simplified it a little bit. So if you go to thedropset.com right now and scroll below beneath the menu up at the very top of the page, there's a little black bar that will be going away soon. And there's just the latest episode right there. You can hit play. And then right below that is the poll question, which we've had heavy voting on this poll question so far we have had six thousand votes no just six i'm sorry six votes so come on i i see the analytics for this i know there are more than six people a lot more than six people so my my turnover rate in getting people to go to the dropset.com and vote on that poll is embarrassingly low i feel like it's an indictment on my character as a human being and honestly, I'm offended at my poor performance here. So I will get down on my hands and knees and beg of you, please, please go vote. So the question is, what are your thoughts on extended breaks two or more consecutive days from training? You either look forward to them or you dread time away from the gym. Tell, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. If you have a, success, a suggestion for a question that you think we should tackle in the poll, let me know. I'm all ears. I'm all ears. So um, 
there's a lot of stuff I want to get into today. The first thing is, I don't know. I mean, I hesitate to even bring this up because it does feel a little gossipy, but, and I don't like digging into gossip, but nonetheless, I feel like it has to be said because it concerns somebody that has been on this podcast in the past. So back in episode number Lordy, I have no idea what it was a while back. Um, we had, Stephanie Flesher on the podcast, um, who told me at the time that she wanted to be identified as Stephanie Marie. So that's what I went with, even though she doesn't really call herself that anywhere else online. But I respect everybody's wishes. So cool. Um, and we talked about coaches and diuretic protocols. And the first thing that I want to throw out there is that um, I take back nothing from that conversation. Like, I think all of those things that were raised were totally legit and needed to be said and people still need to be called out you know the people in question are still having their clients end up in the hospital and retiring from bodybuilding it's not good so people are continuing to do stupid shit you need to stop doing stupid shit please so and this is really all concerning diuretics has very very little to do with anabolics that's another discussion Anabolic abuse is not causing people to drop dead or go to the hospital after their show. Those are longer term issues that take many, many years to develop. And as we've talked about on this show, are pretty easy to avoid if you're intelligent about it. So, um, or at least minimize the risks of, but you need to be paying attention to what your body is doing. Diuretics are the issue. So everything from that conversation that I had with Stephanie, very legit, above board, happy with all that, stand by it. No issues there. Um, there was some crap that Wings of Strength posted, and I need to get this right, how, how Wings of Strength define themselves. Um, so they are, a, are they a promotional organization, what? A multinational bodybuilding promotions company that enga engaged in the marketing and development of bodybuilding events. Here in the States, I think they're exclusively um, about women's bodybuilding specifically. So um, there are a few shows that are Wings of Strength shows, and they have... Um, I mean, they have uh, in their shows. They have multiple categories, but they're they're kind of the champion of women's bodybuilding. They're the one organization that you know, like the they have the the Rising Phoenix, which is kind of like the uh, the show that took over for the Miss Olympia when female bodybuilding was pulled out of the Olympia weekend. So um, they've kind of taken up the mantle of that, and so you have um, you know, they they are. I mean, I don't know what the relationship is, to be honest with you. I don't know if they are a if they are affiliated with the IFBB or what. Um, I haven't actually looked into this. So I think so because I mean you look at their shows here and it's it's very it's very weird. Like, you know, that, like they have on their website, if you look at the shows, they have the Tampa Pro 2022. That's an IFBB show, right? What is Wings of Strength affiliation with that? I don't have any idea. So, I mean, maybe they're just the promotional company, but they promote IFBB and NPC shows. That might be it. I don't know. It gets hazy because they had a post on their uh, an Instagram referring to a Ms. Fletcher Um saying that they were investigating the claims surrounding her, which immediately made me perk up. Like, did they mean Stephanie? That's not her last name, but okay. Um, and what's this all about? And I don't understand why you post something like that without going into more details. Like if you're not going to provide the details and just shut up. I don't know. That's my opinion. 
because otherwise I don't think anybody's asking because it's hard to find details out about this. And then they had a post saying uh, a follow up post a couple days later after that. This is, you know, within the last week or so uh, that. Uh, that she basically i mean i don't know if i can pull up the uh the exact thing if it was in a story if it was an actual post let me see um i want to try and get the wording correct here so um wings of strength oh let's see was it a post uh yeah okay so here's the statement from wings of strength Wings of Strength was completely unaware of the charges filed against Ms. Flesher back in 2017. We were saddened and disappointed to hear of this. Ms. Flesher's contract is currently expired, and she's no longer affiliated with Wings of Strength. All of us here at WOS deeply appreciate the ongoing love and support of the entire fitness community. Uh, that, that, that statement's assuming a lot, ongoing love and support. But okay, whatever. Um, I'll grant them that. So that really made me dig in and be like, what? What is going on here? You know, everybody likes a little bit of gossip, right? So uh, I will just say that if you search for it, it's out there. Uh, but very, very basically, um, and some of the details are in dispute or doubt, but this is basically about her providing legal cover and involving in bribery of someone to let an individual get away with child molestation so it's ugly and it's basically like wow what a piece of shit human being like just absolutely awful that being said it does nothing to discredit the previous conversation that we had on here but now i'm like god oh I mean, I feel, I feel dirty like I need to take a shower after reading some of this stuff. So it's out there. You have to dig for it. Don't ask me for the details. If you want it bad enough, you will find it. Um, but I just say like, beyond that, you probably don't want to know anything else. Uh, it's, it's, it's icky. It's icky. So I just felt like that was worth addressing um, and bringing up because, you know, if you go through the archives here, her name pops up and I figure it's just good to have a follow up pretty much. Like anybody that's affiliated with her is trying to <laughs> trying to create a little bit of distance and separation, which is probably a fair idea at this point. So a little bit of cover your ass, but at the same time, I do stand by that interview. Um, you know, I don't think we're really getting into her uh, worth or character as a human being, which is now highly in doubt. Um, but uh, the accusations uh, that were levied in that podcast, uh, they were not coming from just her. Like she, she was the voice and I would say she was a poor choice for that voice, but, uh, it was her and, you know, the accusations still have merit and all the constant, all the content still is of, uh, is of substance. So I stand by that. Anyway, just figured that was worth a quick little update. Now, moving on to more lighthearted things. Let's talk about me and what a wuss I am. And then we'll get to the business of the day. So actually, this was the business of the day for me. And I don't know why I'm wearing these headphones because, uh, my sound is not coming through them and they're just making my head hot. So I'm going to take those off. This is the start of the world's most boring and unsexy strip tease. Let me take the headphones off and that's where it's going to stop right there. So um, let's see. I I'm going to start by doing something for the YouTube people out here. I'm going to show you something. No, it's not the continuation of the strip tease. Trust me. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody. Um, but I'm going to show you something. So podcast land, stand by. I'm going to step away from the mic for a second here. YouTube land, watch this.
Yeah. How's that? Showing some leg on YouTube there. Um, I was showing off my compression stocking um, because I had, if you were following along on Instagram today, uh, it's today when I'm recording this, it'll probably be tomorrow when you post this, which means the story will be expired. So that comment is irrelevant. And if I had a podcast editor on staff, I would have them edit that comment out and figure out how to make this make sense. Anyway, if you're following along on Instagram, um, and there will be a follow-up post about this as well, just because I think it's worth talking about. Um, I had a procedure done today, um, finally, which was a, you know, I left the paperwork in the room, so I don't know what it's called, but I'm going to leave out a word or two here, but it was a, a varicose vein uh, ablation, basically. So what is an ablation? How do you define an ablation? I'm going to be going to the going to the, the Google for a lot of things today. I have a feeling here. Uh, ablation is a procedure to treat atrial fibula- fibrillation. Well, no, that's not exactly it because um, it's not the heart. Um, it uses small burns or freezes to cause some scarring on the inside of the heart. In this case, it's a vein ablation here, not a heart ablation. Um, so yeah, that's that's what happened. And you know, they described this to me. They're, they're like, here's what we're going to do. I'm like, okay, that sounds really weird. They're like, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't make it sound any less weird. It still sounds really weird. And I don't know if I'm really digging it, but okay. You know, the whole thing is um, on my legs and I will spare the YouTube audience this. Nobody wants to see it. I have spider veins on my legs and they just bug me. It's just a cosmetic thing. And there's a procedure that you can have done. It's a couple hundred bucks and it zaps them and you probably have to get it redone, you know, a year or two down the road, whatever. I'm like, that's fine because they really bother me. And, you know, bodybuilding is all about vanity. So I'm like, hey, I've never had any kind of cosmetic procedure done for anything. I know hard to believe, right? People are in YouTube. And this is all me. I mean, you can hardly believe it, right? No work done. Oh, my God. Um, this is even my natural hair color with this gray in front here. Yep. Yep. Seriously. No camera edits. This is all me, believe it or not. Uh, but I'm like, you know, this is one thing that bugs me. So I'm going to take care. It's both legs. And so that's spider veins. But I go in there and they're like, okay, you, your left leg, you've got some varicose veins and we need to treat those before they can do the spider veins because that's likely a cause of it, at least in that leg. And they just won't do it unless you do that first. And part of me is like, mm, yeah, that's because the varicose vein treatment is more expensive and you just want to do that, right? I, know, I also, I don't know enough to, um, to contradict them on that. So I'm like, okay, cool. That's fair. And honestly, the varicose veins, they weren't bad, but the more I look at them, the more they bug me. Like they are just kind of ugly, right? It is gnarly. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know the difference, um, just go to Google and type in varicose veins. They're like the big, like bunches of veins that stick out of the skin. Not the cool kind that as bodybuilders we like, but if, if you look at somebody and you're like, wow, that's a whole mess of vein. What the hell is going on there? That looks gnarly and wrong. Those are varicose veins. Um, spider veins are like the um, non-textural discoloration, like the purple and red um, small little veins that show up commonly on legs or elsewhere. Um, so the spider veins are what I really want a treatment on, but the varicose veins they had to address first. So um, the spider veins is just a you know cosmetic procedure. They just do a series of tiny little injections to basically kill the vein. Okay, cool. Um, the varicose vein ablation is a medical procedure which means it's covered by insurance oh cool well not mine uh, or at least it would be uh like they would bill it through insurance and i would still pay for the whole thing out of pocket and uh in order to bill through insurance they make you go through a compression stop compression stocking trial where you have to wear a compression stocking like the one i have on right now for six months and at that point you qualify for it to be billed through insurance where i can still pay for the whole thing out of pocket so I said, fuck that. 
screw insurance. The only thing I would get from that is it would count towards my deductible. I don't want to wait until next year to do it. Let's just do it right now. Um, I think my deductible is $4,000 of which I think I have spent a hundred and something dollars towards that this year. So yeah, I, I'm never going to hit my deductible ever. Hopefully for as long as I live. That being said, next year will probably be the year. Who knows? Uh, and so I just paid for it out of pocket. Um, to skip the compression trial. So I didn't have to wait six months or three months or whatever it was. And so I had it done today and you go in and yes, it's a medical procedure. Like you go and they scrub in and they, <laughs> the, the, uh, what was the technician who is there? Um, I'm trying to remember. She's the one who did, this is my third appointment there. Fourth, fourth appointment. I had my initial consultation. No, third, third. I had my initial consultation, which was free with a nurse practitioner who kind of just went over everything and then said, okay, here's what we need to do. And she's the one who said, we need to do the varicose vein treatment first. Okay, cool. So I went back in, had a consultation with the doctor for that. And then the technician, maybe nurse, I'm not sure. Um, she was an ultrasound technician, I think actually. Uh, she did vein mapping and basically like, went down and took about 45 minutes to really draw out exactly where all the problems were. And then that was the guide sheet that they used today when I went back for appointment three, which was the actual procedure. The first procedure, I go back a week from today for a follow-up and then I can start the cosmetic spider vein treatments. Jesus. Oh God. Now I'm thinking like, holy crap, what kind of jar of worms, can of worms did I open here? Um, so let me just tell you when they say like, yeah, so we're going to basically stick a laser inside your vein and cauterize it from the inside. Just imagine what that's like if you haven't done it. And to be clear, like I realize that a lot of people out there in podcast land, thank you for listening, by the way, have gone through stuff way more significant and severe than, than this. And this is really nothing, right? Not a big deal, not a big deal, which it's not a big deal. But for me, this is the most significant medical procedure I've ever had done that didn't involve my mouth. <laughs> like the only only thing more significant would be um, when I was put under anesthesia to have my wisdom teeth taken out. The, other than that, this is the next most significant medical procedure I've ever had done. So uh, it felt like kind of a big deal for me. And the fact they don't put you out, they barely numb you up. They give you like a little bit of something there and like... You know, I walked out of there and it's like, man, I don't even think my leg is numb anymore. Like, <laughs> it was, it was kind of like, eh, okay, it was, it was pretty crazy. But, um, she did say, like, I, I will tell you, it was not, it was not particularly painful. You know, you feel the little pricks of the needle when they give you the, uh, the numbing agent, uh, but not too much beyond that. We're going to talk more about that because there are things that are unpleasant besides just pain. And I think that's worth noting. And that honestly, that needs to go on a t-shirt. There are things unpleasant aside from pain, um, or it's a life slogan, or that needs to be on my epitaph or something. I don't know. Cause whew, that was the summary of today for sure. Um, so she did say like, you know, without that, it didn't feel like that anesthetic really did much, but she said, without that, you would not be able to do this. Like, okay. All right. Cause it didn't feel like it numbed it up that much, but I think they were the numbing was actually like inside, like they were numbing the vein, not so much the skin. So I could walk out of there and it was fine. Like the muscles weren't impacted. It was the vein. And you know, now it's what I'm about four hours out of that. Everything's worn off. It feels fine. I don't feel anything. So, um, other than it feels like my leg is being squeezed because of the compression stocking, which I have to wear um, every waking hour for the next week, as well as tonight to bed. Um, and then uh, I could take it off, except then I go back for my follow-up treatment next week. And then I have to wear it for a week after that as well. So I'm going to be wearing these asymmetrical compression stockings for two weeks. Go me. So look for those in future Instagram videos. It'll be really, really hot and quite the fashion statement. 
Um, so basically they numb you up and you know, I really wanted to take my phone in there and like kind of capture the procedure a little bit or document what was going on. But I chickened out um, and I just left my phone behind in the prep room before I went into the actual procedure room. And honestly, like, I, I couldn't look at what they were doing. Like, I just have no stomach for that. So I'm describing the procedure here. I'm just going to say it out loud again. And in YouTube, you can kind of watch my reaction, which I will exaggerate a little bit, but not much. So they, they inject, they, they make some kind of an opening. I don't know exactly what, but they, they stick some kind of a needle in there. And then through that needle, they pass this catheter, which at the end of it, this looks very suggestive here. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to describe a catheter insertion without making it look like the the you know hanky panky sign. Um, there's probably a way to do it, but it's it's eluding me. I don't know. Um, so they they stick that thing up, and the the way it looks, I'm gonna I'm gonna well no, I'll just describe it here. So they they brought it in like around the knee ish, and had to get it up to about like I'd say three inches short of the groin. Um, so they went up there and then, uh, they had to do some work below the knee as well. So, and I don't know, I wasn't watching. I don't know what they did. If they like took it out and moved it around the other direction and went with it down, I don't have any idea what the hell they did. So, uh, the less I knew, the better it was it, reminiscent of when I, uh, had my wisdom teeth taken out. Um, they made me watch a video beforehand. This was 20 years ago. They made me watch a video beforehand on what they were going to do. And that video remains one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, which, says something about what a privileged life I've had, I guess, but also it was really bad. They're like, Oh God. So no, I didn't want to see what they were doing. No, I, I, I love the idea of being able to document it just for, to show you guys and everybody, but at the same, I don't know that anybody wanted to watch it. So let me describe what that feels like. It, it feels like as they, they put this, they stick this catheter in and then they start shoving this laser thing into it to get all the way up. So it's about, three inches short of your groin. <laughs> uh, um, it feels about like you'd imagine it would. Like you just want to kind of like inch away from it. Like, Oh God, that's weird. Like it doesn't hurt, but it's just like, that's wrong. I don't like feeling things happening inside my leg that like if, if you feel something in your stomach, like you're digesting something weird or you can tell you've got some gas or something, that's a sensation where that's an, a, an area where you're accustomed to having sensations internally. I'm not accustomed to having sensations internally in my leg. I don't have a stomach in my leg. And, and that's kind of what it felt like. Like, Oh my, it's just so fucking weird it, it was such a creepy uncomfortable situation and i've seen enough sci-fi horror movies where people have like little alien things inside their body and you can see them crawling under their skin like that's what it felt like and like i am not okay with this and then he's like okay we've got the laser in position we're about to activate it he's like you may um you may get a uh, a, a burning taste in your mouth <laughs> To, to which I said, you know, I realize that you're only telling me that now and it's a little too late to back out of this procedure. You saved that detail before it was a little too late for me to really make an informed decision on whether or not I wanted to do this. A burning taste in my mouth because there's something inside my body that's burning because you're cauterizing. This just does not seem okay. Is this carcinogenic or what? Oh my God. And he, <laughs> he said, I will never forget this. He said, you may get some of the essence of burnt vein. I'm like, what the fuck is burnt vein? 
Like uh, nobody's walking up to the perfume counter asking for essence of burnt vein. What does that smell like? And so I definitely got it. I got some of that. Like it, it's this, it's not even a taste or a smell. It, it really is like an essence. How else would I describe it? It's like a, a sensation that you can't escape. Like you feel like if you have a taste in your mouth, you could just drink some water or something and flush it out. This did not feel like that. Like whatever I could do, it's it's not so much in your mouth as it is in your head. It, it's very weird, very weird. And I would say it was more, I would describe it more of like um, ashtray and old leather, something like that. It was it, that... I was thinking about it for a while as they were doing it. I had some time. And so I was conversing with the the tech who was trying to help me verbalize what I was, <laughs> what I was experiencing. And we came up with ashtray and burnt leather. She was kind of, you know, commenting on some things that other people had mentioned uh, were how they described the sensation. That's what I arrived at that I think is probably the best fit. So um, that was weird. And then just as I'm like, Oh God, I, this is just gnarly. Uh, and then it was done. So, I mean, the whole procedure was probably 20 minutes, and I think it was probably about 40 minutes of prep time, um, just like getting the area cleaned and getting, you know, they had like the, the gown on and the, the cover and everything. So um, it was about, and getting all the equipment ready. It was about 40 minutes of prep time. The procedure was like 20 minutes. And then I had to get on the bike for 10 minutes um, because they need to get blood flow going. I need to get on the bike every day. I'm already doing that. Not a big deal. I can resume lifting tomorrow. I could have done it today, honestly, but I'd already scheduled it as a day off. So uh, it wasn't a big deal. It was just super super, super weird and uncomfortable, but it wasn't painful. It was really just one of those things where like, Oh God, I really want this to be over uh, just because I'm, I'm getting creeped out. And I think if I hadn't seen so many movies like, you know, alien or good Lord, I don't know, event horizon or any number of things like that, I probably would have been okay with it. Um, just, but having that stuff in my head, it's like, no, no. If somebody had never seen a movie before and they went and did that, it would be absolutely nothing. I think it'd be totally cake, totally cake. So Anyway, that happened today, and then uh, next week, a week from today, I will go back and have the second procedure, which sounds like it's kind of a cleanup thing. It's just a series of injections localized in specific spots that need extra attention. That's it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, whew, man. Oh, all right. So let's uh, let's talk about this, shall we? Uh, let's change the damn subject here. Um, I've got a few things that I want to go over here. So one, uh, these were questions from people, by the way, I'm starting to run through, um, starting to kind of come short on my, uh, on my questions here and, and what, uh, um, the kind of stuff that people want to talk about. So whatever questions you have for me, shoot them on over, please. Absolutely. Um, this is from Nita, uh, client of mine. So she says, uh, suggesting a podcast question on the difference in using free weight or bar exercises, dumbbells and cable as far as muscle growth. Is any better than the others? Um, and then maybe I've already covered this. I might have, I don't know, but I've covered a lot of stuff and there's no reason not to revisit it because I don't expect that people have listened to everything that I've ever put on here. Good Lord. If you have, um, you have my, uh, you have my condolences. Um, but also every time I, I touch on a topic and this is true for every time I do a check-in with a client and come up with something, I always end up talking about something different and saying different things anyway. So it's always worth revisiting stuff like this. So hold on, I'm going to adjust my microphone here a little bit if I could, because it's, it's coming at me from a weird angle that I'm not liking here. And I think it's, I think it's impacting how I sound. Hold on. Um, this is the thing here. How do I, there we go. Yeah. Okay. That good, good, good. And then does this go here? 
Yeah, but hold on. See, this is the kind of thing a podcast editor would edit out. She'd be like, no, dude, get your get your act together. All right, that didn't really do what I wanted to do at all, but we're going to pretend it did. Okay. Um, so, yeah, basically like, you know, free weights versus machines. It's, it's that old argument here. So um, advantages and disadvantages of each. I'm going to type a couple of notes here in Nita's question that I have up in a document so that I can make sure that I cover certain things. So... Um, basically it's like, what are the various exercise modalities that we have? Well, there's body weight, um, there's free weight, but I'm going to be more specific here, um, because free weight can mean a lot of things. We're going to say dumbbells, we're going to say kettlebells, we're going to say barbells, and we're going to say plates also, because we can do exercises with just plates. And then we're going to do machines. Um, but we are going to talk about, um, plate loaded machines. We're going to talk about selectorized machines. We're going to talk about cables with the understanding also that um, many and, and cables is, you know, uh, multi what uh, would be the right word here? Multi. Oh, I'm going to say multi definition because we're, we're going to assume um, a cable can be anything that attaches a moving piece to a, to a static piece and moves through pulleys. So um, it might actually be a cable. It could be a strap. It could be a chain. You'll find you know plenty of of machines uh, or cable systems that use straps um, as the as the primary um, connective piece. So um, I think if we if we confine our 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 discussion to just that we're going to be good. So, uh, and I'm going to move these, I'm going to kind of put some spaces in here to put these into different categories. So, um, I'm going to say dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells, and plates. That's going to be in the free weight category, plate loaded and selectorized machines are in their own category. And then cables will be in a different category as well. So understanding that a lot of plate loaded and selectorized machines have cables they utilize, and but that's like internal to the machine. It's not part of what you're grabbing. Right? So, um, when I talk about cable, I'm talking about like, you know, a cable system where you attach handles to it. You can move the thing up and down or like a pull down or, you know, a row, oftentimes those things, they don't really have, um, they don't really have a free weight, um, alternative. That's really the same thing. So, um, body weight exercises, I, I find they to be, I find them to be the most limiting just because of, of, you know, your body weight is one thing. It, it is what it is. And if you can't do an exercise with your body weight, you're kind of out of luck unless it's an exercise that is modifiable in some way. But you know, if you're trying to do pull-ups and you don't have bands or a machine, you can, it's a binary thing. You can either do pull-ups or you can't. And if you can't do pull-ups, it's very difficult to get to a point where you can, um, you know, you can strengthen your back, but you also, you improve your performance at pull-ups by doing pull-ups. And if you can't do something, uh, if you can't do a pull-up or you can't do something that I would consider to be a gateway drug towards pull-ups and you're not going to get better at them. So, um, I think, I think the word that I'm looking for here is modality, like exercise modalities. That's what we're talking about here. I'd have to double check that, but I think that's the word I'm looking for. So by the way, it's one of those things that doesn't really play into, into bodybuilding too much, unless we're talking about finishers or, you know, pull-ups are a good example there, push-ups. Um, but otherwise, like most of these are finishers or warm-ups, like body weight squats, you know, a sissy squat would be a body weight exercise. Usually unless you add weight to it, some exercises, you can add weight to it. 
Um, a sissy squat is not uh, is also something that you can't do with just body weight. You need some kind of an apparatus or something to hold on to. So that requires a little bit of external support. Um, so body weight, we're going to kind of leave that out of the discussion for here. That wasn't really Nita's question, but it's worth you know, if we're going to make this more of a conversation about exercise modalities much more generally. It's worth just mentioning, like, yeah, that's out there too. Free weights. So this would also include things like medicine balls and stuff like that. I'm going to just narrow things down here a little bit. We've got dumbbells and kettlebells, which are definitely in the same family. And it's just that certain exercises are more suitable for one than the other. Um, like doing a swing with dumbbells is technically possible, but it's, it's tricky. Just that comes down to just the handle of the thing, how grabbable it is, how maneuverable the thing is. If you've ever done um, a figure eight movement with a kettlebell, for example, which is a movement that I used to do in boot camps and with clients in person all the time, it's a choreographed movement. The kettlebell passes between your legs. You bring it back up to your shoulder. You toss it back down between the legs. You bring it up from the front through the other shoulder, et cetera. Um, that's, you can't do that with a dumbbell. Like that, that's something specific to how the kettlebell is designed. So um, there are certain things where, you know, you're, you're probably not going to, I mean, if you wanted to, you know, prove a point just to prove me wrong, you could, but you're probably not going to do like an inclined bench press with kettlebells, right? You're going to pick dumbbells for that, right? Because it's the most logical thing to do. Dumbbells are more widely available, of course, but even if you had kettlebells, it's like, that's the wrong tool for the job. Yeah. You could technically do it just like you could technically do a swing with a dumbbell. It's still the wrong tool for the job. So um, most of those are, you know, there's, exercises that are done better with one or the other in bodybuilding. Most of what we deal with is dumbbells as opposed to kettlebells, but still, if you've got kettlebells, there are certain things that we can do that are useful there. I don't tend to plug in a lot of KB exercises simply because, um, I like using stuff that I know people are going to have in their gyms and kettlebells simply aren't, um, widely available enough to really fit in that category for me. All the gyms that I go to have kettlebells, but also it's like, you know, the weights are pretty limited. Like if I want to do a swing, with a kettlebell, one of the gyms I go to, the heaviest kettlebell I've ever been able to find there is 30 pounds. I don't even have 35. And 35 pounds is a pood. That's a standing... I did not make that word up. P-O-O-D. Pood. Uh, look it up. Google. I didn't make that up. I promise. It sounds like something I would make up. I didn't. Um, that's a standard unit of measurement for kettlebells. 35 pounds. So you'll find kettlebells that are one pood, two pood, three pood. That's 35, 70, 105 pounds. Um, this gym doesn't even have a 35 pound kettlebell. They, they go up to 30 and then they stop. So it's like, that's not challenging for a swing, you know? Um, so even though they have them, it's not really appropriate for one of the primary movements that I'd want to use for it. So, um, so the barbell. So now we get into like the dumbbell versus barbell conversation. Cause there are a lot of exercises that can be done with both. Um, let's talk briefly about plates. Um, because there's, there are a handful of exercises that can be done with any of these. Like, you know, the most common one being a front raise. You can do a dumbbell front raise for shoulders. You can do a barbell front raise. You can do a plate front raise. The main difference with all of those, I mean, clearly with dumbbells, you have the ability to go isolateral with barbell and plates. You're going bilateral, both arms at the same time. So you get a little bit of extra flexibility or you lose flexibility, which you might intentionally want to do. If you don't want to perform a movement isolaterally, but you want both arms going together, you would pick a barbell or you could do plates. You could also do a dumbbell bilaterally just by lifting both at the same time. Um, there are potential issues with that. There are also certain benefits to doing it that way. Like one um, arm might want to take over 
uh, more than the other. And potentially with dumbbells, you could identify that. But it's one of those things where you've really got to be paying attention and looking for it and probably recording video of that because being able to you know watch it and notice that while concentrating on what you're doing at the same time is pretty difficult. So um, those are all just things to think think about. And the important thing in this conversation of free weights, if we're talking about, you know, barbell press versus dumbbell press or a barbell row versus a dumbbell row or, you know, a dumbbell RDL versus a barbell RDL is there are no bad options necessarily. They are all valid tools. They are all legitimate exercises. You might have a preference for one or the other. Like I definitely prefer dumbbell press over a barbell press, especially if we're talking like uh, incline bench. Um, but that's that's what it is. It's preference. Is there anything wrong with barbell press? No. And I'll do that as well. I feel like I perform dumbbell press better. I feel like I've got a little bit more ability. You will notice also like when you're doing a barbell press, I'll hold my hands up for the YouTube audience here. Your hands are like this, right? You have to press like this. Your hands have to be in a, they have to be, you know, conforming to a straight line if you look at how your grip is set up. Um, If you have a dumbbell press, you know, you can, you know, the top of the movement can look a little bit more like this, which is how I like to do it. And I think that's one of the reasons why my shoulder is more comfortable if my, uh, if my hands are just, you know, supinated just a little bit. So they're not in a fully pronated position. They're not even neutral grip all the way, but they're just pronated a little bit. Sorry, supinated just a little bit. Um, and also, like, uh, unless you have a specialty bar, you can't do a neutral grip press with a barbell. Uh, if you have a multi-grip bar or a Swiss bar, you can do a neutral grip press. Otherwise, you need dumbbells for that. So um, a barbell can be a little limiting, uh, which it could be good. That could be what you're looking for. Um it might not be. You might want more freedom. And I do notice that a lot of people, this is kind of tying back to last week's conversation about problematic exercises. A lot of people have issues with barbell bench, whether a flat or incline press or even a dumbbell press, um, simply because I think most of it has to do with that lack of flexibility and how you are able to rotate the wrist throughout the movement. So um, it does kind of put the shoulders in a much more fixed movement pattern. Um, and while having to provide maximal stability at the same time, because uh, there's none inherent in the movement itself, like you would find on a machine. So, um, so there are no bad options here. You know, do you prefer one or the other? Yeah, oftentimes you will. Um, I definitely prefer um, a barbell RDL versus a dumbbell RDL. And the reasons for that are completely logistical and practical. If I have a barbell, it's sitting on a rack and I can just walk up to it, grab it and perform the exercise. Um, if it's a dumbbell RDL, I'm going to be grabbing some pretty heavy dumbbells, which means I have to walk to the rack, bend down, grab them, walk back away from the rack because only assholes perform exercises while standing at the rack and blocking it for other people. So you step back away from it. And so I'm walking around a whole bunch just to get set up to where I want to go. And it's just it's a pain in the ass. And it's like, ugh, I don't like it. I don't like it. So I'd, I'd rather do it with a barbell. Um, I, th- I think I like the mechanics of the dumbbell version better. But for practical purposes, if you ask me to, if you're flipping a coin and asking me which one I want, I'm, I'm going to pick the barbell for me. So um, so that comes down to a lot of just preference. Um, plate loaded and selectorized machines are often, um, they're usually very, very what? similar, um, except there's an important distinction here. And that is that um, th- there will be exceptions to this. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but if I walk through the gym, I could probably find one or two. Um, they're pretty rare, but um, with plate-loaded machines, usually um, you are moving something that is uh, operating around a pivot and you're, you're moving the weight directly. 
And on a selectorized machine, you're usually uh, you're usually manipulating a handle or a series of handles um, that are attached to a piece of metal that are connected via a cable through some pulleys to the weight stack. So the physics involved in that are much more complex. Um, if you think of like a typical hammer strength plate loaded machine, right? It's just, okay, it's basically you've got three pieces of metal. You've got the frame and you've got the left arm and the right arm. <coughs> now those arm assemblies might be made of several pieces of metal, but they're all w welded together into one big fixed contraption that has the handle on one end and the peg where you put the weights on the other end. Somewhere in the middle of that is going to be a piece where it connects to the frame, the, the, the rest of the machine, right? So it's got that one pivot point right there and that's it. So you're just using physics, you're operating the lever and that's it. It's very simple. Um, it's easy to understand. It's pretty easy to set yourself up with. A good selectorized machine is going to be designed in much the same way where it feels intuitive like that. But the problem is a little bit more complicated. Now, the issue, the, the way that that can be more productive, and this is where we get into the physics a little bit, and this is where I get a geek out. Hold on just a second here. So, sorry, that was a, once again, a midnight cherry C4 break. Midnight Cherry C4, the official energy drink of the drop set. Not really, but it feels like it. Um, so I love this because the, the physics of this are, are very cool. And if I would thought ahead, I'd have my legal pad out and I'd draw some notes for the YouTube audience here, but I don't. All I have is a pen, so I'm going to draw on the air and pretend like I'm actually doing something. Um, the physics involved in this are really cool. So... Physics problems get more complex when you start adding pulleys into the equation. Um, complex can be a good thing from the user's perspective. So, um, and this, because the selectorized machines are cable based in the fact that they are operating through pulleys, it's important to tie this conversation into our discussion of cable machines as well, like the kind, you know, like a cable crossover, a uh, lap pull down, a seated row, that kind of stuff. Those, those things that are much more direct cables. A selectorized machine, I guess the difference there is the cable is kind of hidden. Like you're not really drawn to it because you're not clipping a handle into the end of the cable or anything like that, but it's there and it's, it's working in much the same way. So, Pulleys presented an interesting challenge. Um, you know, I, I often talk about my background in uh, in civil engineering courses, and I had you know the the first two classes that you take as part of your engineering curriculum are statics and dynamics. Statics is uh, how the load affects a non-moving system, i.e., um, forces on a building. Um, like the weight of a building down on itself, et cetera, like trying to figure out if I build this structure, will it stand? Can it support itself? Um, can it support wind gusts? That kind of thing. So um, forces on a static structure. Um, dynamics are, are forces on moving or mobile structures. So one of the elements in there um, is, uh, is a chapter on pulleys because that's what pulleys do. Pulleys are machines that are designed... They were invented to help people for perform tasks that they couldn't perform without them. The most simple pulley is one where it's anchored up high and there's a rope that goes through it and you pull down on something and you can lift more off the ground than you could if you were just trying to lift it directly through the aid of the pulley. So it, it acts as kind of like a, uh, a weight, weight divider, basically. So, and now, depending on how many times that cable that works through the pulleys, that cable or that rope that works through the pulleys, how many times that changes direction and what the lengths are 
of the cable like if you have let's say there's a pulley positioned up here and there's another pulley positioned like let's say four feet below it and you have a cable that goes up over one end and down over the other end and then back over to something else so you've got like four feet down 180 degree turn and then four feet back up and then it hits a pulley and then it goes off to the side or something like that the distance that four foot distance matters as far as how that impacts the weight so that's why i tell people when you're looking at weight stacks in the gym completely disregard whatever number is on the weight stack oh i did 120 pounds i did 140 pounds no you did whatever weight it says when it's at the 120 but if you put a force spring on that thing and pulled it's probably not 120 pounds it doesn't matter we're going to pretend it is but it just means that if you take you know if you go to one gym and you do 120 pounds on a pull down and you go to a different gym and it has a different pull down machine and you put 120 pounds on it don't expect it to feel the same there isn't a lot of transference between those two it just depends on how the people label the things you know it's probably 120 pounds of weight but how do the pulleys involved in that machine um change that weight from 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 the actual weight to the perceived weight it's a it can be a big big difference and never is that more obvious than if you look at uh the most common thing in the world in gyms which is that cable system where you've got a seated row you've got a seated pull down opposite from that you've got a cable crossover in the middle and then you've got another seated row and pull down on the other side so it's this big contraption and then usually on the outside you've got a single cable thing that goes up and down and the crossover things in the middle go up and down life fitness i mean every every brand of gym uh equipment manufacturer they all make one they all make one like that it's very standard sometimes they'll have like a dual cable on one of the pull downs in one of the rows so you can do uh, individual handles or whatever but they all have something like that and um what you will notice on those and the, the one that i can speak to the most is the life fitness one because it's in all the gyms around here if you do let's say and and this is where i i see people get into trouble if and i promise we're getting somewhere on this bear with me i know if physics who cares but I care. And by extension, if you're here, then that means you care too, right? I'm pretty sure that's how it works. If you try to do a straight arm pull down at the lap pull down station and you put that thing on 50 pounds, then you're going to go and you're going to be like, okay, all right, that feels like a pretty good set. All right. Now you take that same bar, you go to the outside to that, um, to that cable that moves up and down, right? You can adjust it. So it goes up and you put it up high, you put the same bar on there, you put it at 50 pounds and you do your first rep you're going to be like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, that feels like nothing. That's got to be half the weight I was just doing, even though it's on the same machine and it says the same weight. Yes, that's because the pulleys on the outside piece move up and down. And when your pulley moves, your cable configuration changes completely. The cabling configuration that goes through the pulleys, and it does end up, in the case of that machine, making it feel like it's about half the weight. Um, now, how does that how does that help well when it feels the, the perception there and this is the one thing i don't have an answer to and if i had actually finished my engineering program and gotten my degree i might be able to answer this question the thing is it's about half the weight but if you then double the weight so it's the same as the other pull down machine roughly more or less um it's going to feel more doable like it's the same weight but you're going to feel like you have a better control over it because the weight simply scales up in a way that's much more useful for a single joint exercise like that. So I always tell people, you know, that lat pull down station, the, the seated uh, cable row station, those are what we call fixed pulley cables. Um, and if you're doing something at a fixed pulley cable, you want to do a compound exercise there. Um, 
typically. Uh, if you're doing a single joint exercise, like a straight arm pull down, joint's the only thing that's moving through that exercise, right? With a regular pull down, it's, or, I'm sorry, your shoulder is the only thing that's moving there. With a, a pull down, it's your shoulder and your elbow. They're, they're, both, they're both bending, they're both straightening throughout. Um, so that's a, a compound exercise. You want to do compound exercises at fixed pulley stations. And you want to do typically uh, single joint exercises or isolation movements at adjustable pulley stations. There can be exceptions to that, like a face pull is still better than an adjustable pulley station. Um, but basically, the heavier stuff is best done. At, and like you wouldn't want to do, um, in most cases, like a bicep curl laying down at a, a seated cable station, right? A seated cable row station. You can, and there are people that do that. The issue that you run into, and this is where the selectorized machines can be a little bit more useful than the plate loaded machines. I told you we're coming back to that is because the weight selection can be a bit more refined. Um, so for example, going back to our, our straight arm pull down example on the uh, seated pull down station versus the adjustable station. Um, if I was doing 50 pounds um, on the pull down station and wanted to jump up and wait, the next thing available might be like 65. So because the weight is you know effectively twice as heavy as the other one, that's pretty much a 30 pound jump that I'd have to make. That's a big, it just doesn't increment well. So it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as movable. It doesn't feel like you have the same level of control over it. And it doesn't scale or adjust anywhere near as gently. So you always want to, you know, like if I have to do um, a pull down like that, or, you know, I see people attach a rope to a, a lat pull down station and do tricep exercises there. That sucks too. Um, and if I was left to that, I'd just be like, no, I'm going to wait until one of those other stations come available. Um, because it's to the, I'm, I'm so keenly aware of it. Like, I just know if I try to do that exercise over there, it's going to feel crappy. I'm not going to be able to increment the weight. Progressive overload is going to go there and die. That's it. So, um, so the selectorized machines can be a little bit better just because oftentimes the movement, um, and this is the scalability, uh, question again, um, with a, uh, plate loaded machine because they are so simplistic when you add weight on there it's like boom okay now you got to pull that much weight um and similarly conversely if you take a selectorized machine and you add 10 pounds um it might feel like less than that because they scale differently so you get much more refined control over your weight increases there so um the other thing that everybody always talks about with cables is constant tension and so this is where vectors come in um and i've made posts about this on social media before that get lost and i should probably make another one um they're, they're difficult because you really need to have like a combination of videos and stills all in one thing it's, it's really more like a blog post i guess realistically but uh <clears throat> excuse me um how long has this been going for? I don't know. Um, yeah, it doesn't tell me how long my meeting's been going for here. Hmm. All right. Well, hopefully not too long. Hopefully you're all still with me here. Um, with free weights, you're always operating against gravity. Um, with cables, you're always operating against the direction in which the cable is pulling. So um, you've you've got to look at that. So you've got to look at how the machine is constructed and look at the vectors that are involved i know i'm giving you all physics homework here when you go to the gym right but you get something out of this and i think it's probably worth probably worth um definitely like a, a lecture with some visual components to it just what everybody wants when they go to a podcast right a lecture well that's kind of what podcasts are realistically this one anyway sorry apologize to everybody um i don't know where derby went 
She wasn't that bad when I started here. I think I remember her being there, but she ran away. My mascot, the whole reason, you know, the thing that gets me views is gone. Um, so gravity is always working against you with free weights, which means if you curl a weight up and, and you know, you curl it up to here and for the listeners on, on video here, I'm showing, um, something that, you know, it, it's curled all the way up so that my wrist is kind of, you know, my elbows pushed forward a little bit. So my wrist is kind of on more above my, uh, above my shoulder versus if I kept my elbow pulled back then my wrist is out in front of my arm a little bit. If I do that, gravity is pulling straight down. So my bicep is still under tension here. That's good. If you do this and push your elbow forward a bit, gravity is still pulling straight down. And now there's still some tension on the bicep, but it's less. You've got a lot more tension on the shoulder because it's, being responsible for keeping that elbow pulled up so you can let muscles off the hook and make other muscles work that maybe you know shouldn't be working and they're just not an efficient way to work that muscle like you don't want to turn a bicep curl into a shoulder exercise right there are other ways to work the shoulders they get a different day fuck them right so with cables though like if i take a low pulley cable and i put a straight bar or an easy bar handle on it and i grab it with a certain amount of weight and i step back a couple of steps so you're not necessarily standing right up on it but you step back a little bit and you curl up like this look at the next time you do this look over in the mirror and look at the angle that the cable is going back towards the pulley that it originates from it's going down but also like out in front of you a little bit right because you took that step back if you're right on top of it that cable is going to be going straight down and it's acting very much like gravity there so you can still cheat those reps a little bit if you take a step or two back then suddenly regardless of what you do with your elbows it matters a whole lot less um, you get more of that constant tension that people advertise when they promote cables over free weights a lot of that is fixable just by having better form with your free weights but the constant tension of the cable it is different so Needed to answer your question <laughs> from from about three hours ago. Um, they're all good. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, everything is good. Everything is valid. They're just all different. And what I hope that you all get out of this is a notion of what to think about when you're doing these movements so that you can get a sense of you know, how they are different, how they feel different, why they should feel different, um, and work on that proprioception. What you want is to really build your ability to identify how a muscle feels throughout the course of an exercise. And so if you can really clearly define like how your bicep feels different, if you're doing a dumbbell curl versus a cable curl versus a machine preacher curl, um, those are all different. They should all feel different. The way that you set up for those movements should all be different. Um, even though it's, this, it's, they're all elbow flexion exercises. Um, they're, they're largely the same, but they should all feel different and not necessarily one better than the other or anything like that, but they're all going to hit things a little bit differently, which is why we don't just do one bicep exercise in a workout or one back exercise and just do 20 sets of it. First of all, it'd be boring, but also angles and variety are important. So whew, that was the most long-winded answer to a pretty simple question. So you see, that's why it's okay to revisit things because today I, I, you know, I took a hit off the crack pipe before I started recording this. I had all kinds of energy. And so we get a big spirited discussion um, on, you know, different exercise modalities. So, whew, all right. So this is kind of a, uh, a long, uh, a long, uh, 
elaborate question uh, from Charlotte, another client of mine who has questions about macros, et cetera. She sent me this a little while back, and this is just kind of a good primer, I think. She said it might be too elementary for some of the listeners. I disagree. I don't think because even the basics, I benefit from from revisiting some of the basics sometimes. I think we all could, we all should do it, and just to make sure, like, oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, and, and talking about macros, I did want to shoot over um, or mention this. Um, I had a client of mine, Jason. Uh, thank you, Jason, by the way, who gave me a heads up on this website that he'd been using, which honestly, this might be uh, old news to a lot of you, but it's it's new to me. I've never seen this before. It's a website. It's called Eat This Much, which this sounds like they're a, a sponsor of the podcast. They are not, although I totally might reach out to these people and see if they're interested because this website is badass. It's awesome. Um, so this is uh, unfiltered commentary coming from me. I love it. So um, what this website is, is it's a place where you can go and plug in your macros and it will create meals for you based on the macros that you plug in. So I'm going to... I pulled up today. I've got my numbers plugged in here. I think I had my actual numbers plugged in more or less. It kind of makes you provide a range. So my protein targets 220. I think I said 210 to 230 just to give it a little bit of a range to play with there. So I'm just going to hit generate for today, Tuesday, the 25th. Now, clearly it's two, two hours late for that, but um, let's see. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't, something happened to these numbers and I don't know what they are. I, I was playing around with this, but I, clearly I didn't leave the, uh, the same thing in here, um, the same targets in here. So yeah, no, it, I don't know if it didn't save them or what, but it has my protein target is somewhere between 243 and 429. So I don't know. Well, let's edit those targets here. Let's put them back in spec for me. So carbs, I'm going to say 290 to 310 for my, uh, I've got several days for which that would be a valid goal. Fats have to stay pretty low. So for me, that's going to be like 47 to 56, we'll call it something in there. And then protein, I'm going to say like 210 thereabouts to 225 or something. Okay. And now it's saying, wait, your calories are set too high. I'm like, well, just fix it. Increase macro macro. No, I don't want to do that. So 2704. What if I just do that? 2704. And hey, great. It's going to make me change all those freaking numbers again. Okay, hold on. Bear with me here. It's going to be worth it. Trust me. So 299. Okay. Carbs generally around 300. Fats generally ballpark around 50-ish, something like that. Thereabouts. I'm, I'm giving this pretty narrow target, so it's, I'm not giving it a lot of wiggle room to play with here. And there we go. Protein generally around 220 or so. I gotta inch that up just a little bit. Okay, cool. So save changes, great. All right, and now let's regenerate meals for today. There we go. Okay, so now it's created a plan for me that's 318 grams of carbs. Fats are 75. Mm, that's out of my spec. That's a that's 20 grams over my spec. So I don't like that. Um, so it does say your diet stats differ significantly from your targets. Well, I don't really care about that because the targets were things that it, it said in there. And my protein's 207. So, okay, good starting point. But basically, it's given me five meals here. And these are things... This is... I wouldn't necessarily go here and just say, let it plan all your meals. But if you want some ideas, here you go. I mean, it's pretty cool. Like a breakfast, it says high-protein pancakes and one poached egg. I mean, if it were me, I'd just take the egg and like work it into the pancake mix, but okay, whatever. Um, lunch, cool summer cucumber chicken and tomato toss. 
and then a mung bean salad. I mean, I would never in a billion years make that on my own, but I might try it. And it gives you estimated cost breakdowns for all these meals as well. So you can specify your macro targets. You can specify your food preferences like, hey, I'm keto. I'm vegan. I what? I don't do dairy, uh, that kind of thing. And then you can get in here and specify um, other things for these meals. Like, hey, I, I don't want this to be a snack meal. This is something where I have time to make something. Like, make this more of like an actual, like, I don't want a smoothie. I want a, a Whole Foods meal here. Um, and, and there are other things here where this is what? Uh, cheesy vegan zoodles. Okay, so that's zucchini, onion, bell pepper, broth, nutritional yeast, pepper, salt, garlic powder. I'm not sure how they arrive at 46 grams of protein for that, but whatever. Bean sprout and spinach salad for that, for dinner. Okay. And then lunch, they've got a dairy-free protein and cocoa shake, Mm -hmm. spinach salad with blackberries, and then there's some snack that's turkey, corn, and tomato wrap. Okay. All right. It's an idea generator for me, more so than it's going to be like, hey, I'm going to eat all these foods. It's just some good ideas. So eatthismuch.com. Check it out. They do have a a paid version as well. This is all with the free version here. They do have a paid version as well where um, you can actually like export all this to a grocery list and then export that grocery list to Instacart and send it to a local grocery store, have them deliver it for you. So they really kind of like make it kind of dumb, which is pretty cool. So just figured I'd point that out as we're talking about macros here. So um, Charlotte says... um, she says, since she logs her macros daily, yep, uh-huh, interested in learning the finer details about them. Okay, so she says, generally, why are proteins, carbs, and fats so important in this process? Well, your body needs all of them for different reasons. We fixate on protein as bodybuilders because protein is required for protein synthesis in the body. And if you don't have protein synthesis in the body, you can't build muscle. Or also lacking it, you will atrophy over time. And if you're trying to train, you just can't atrophy. If you're placing large physical demands on your body, you need protein synthesis just to be able to maintain the muscle mass that's in your body, let alone generate new mass or, or, or build new tissue on top of that. Um, carbs are the most immediate form of uh, energy source. So if you need quick energy, you know, you've got fast carbs, you've got slow carbs. So things that are higher in sugar, higher glycemic index, things that are lower in sugar, lower glycemic index. The, the easiest thing there to think about is fruit or other carbs. That's the most basic dumbed down way that you can think about it. Um, or and you know other things that are higher in sugar. If we're just trying to limit the discussion to whole foods here, and not the snack aisle at a convenience store, it's probably the way to to approach it there. So, um, it, in general, if you're trying to think like, is this a, a slow carb or a fast carb? If it's fruit, it's a fast carb. If it's anything else, it's slower than that at least. So, um, and that's just about the uh, how how readily available the energy is. Um, fats are important for a few things, um, so they are a more um, they go through a different uh, process in the body to be available for energy, but they are an energy source as well. They also have to be present in the body for the absorption of fat soluble vitamins. So if you are chronically low in dietary fats, which will really only happen if you're doing it on purpose. Um, then your uptake of fat-soluble vitamins might be deficient as well. You might find yourself a little deficient in A, D, E, or K. Um, And deficiency in those sucks. I mean, a lot of people have a vitamin D deficiency just based on where you live, but you can throw yourself into a vitamin E deficiency um, just by being super, super aggressive on your low-fat diet as well. Um, And it's the kind of thing where you can supplement with it, and it still might not help because without those fats, your body cannot really uptake those fat-soluble vitamins at an appreciable rate. So 
So that very generally speaking, that's what all those are for. Proteins and carbs. She said, why is there a ceiling slash threshold on the proteins we can intake, whereas carbs are significantly more variable? Well, there's a ceiling or threshold on both of them. The problem is you don't really know where it is in your body. There have been studies done, and they have been inconclusive in that they reach different conclusions. Um, But my general thinking is bodybuilders have to have higher protein than the average bear. Um, not as high as some people might think. Um, you know, they don't have to be 450 grams for a dude. Um, but you know, if you're a 200 and something pound guy and you're trying to get by on 110 grams of protein, you're not going to do as well as if you bump that up significantly, like, you know, double it. Um, so I would, I would say one pound, uh, one, one gram per pound of body weight is just a very, very basic, easy to calculate threshold. If you're there, you're at least in the ballpark. So generally a little north of that is probably a good idea. So it comes down to, you know, you can't just take all that protein and divide it into, into two meals and call it good because you're going to overshoot that threshold. Where is that threshold? It's hard to say for sure. Um, but you want it evenly distributed just so that it becomes a non-issue pretty much it's one of those things where your body is a black box and you can't treat yourself as a lab experiment and run daily tests on yourself to measure your protein synthesis in in the body and find out oh it's much more optimal if i don't go above this number i get these little dips throughout the day in my protein synthesis if my protein is low for these hours like what that's not going to happen so what we do is we make certain assumptions that there is a threshold it's something that's not unreasonable but for guys i would say if you're taking in 70 grams of protein per meal that's probably more than your body knows what to do with again probably um for women i'd say if you're taking in more than 45 or 50 it's probably more than your body knows what to do with and so smaller chunks are good and this is one of the reasons why bodybuilders have you know smaller more frequent meals throughout the day it's to make sure that we don't break through that threshold and also that more steady intake keeps your body in positive nitrogen balance which keeps the body in a more anabolic state throughout the day as well so Carbs are significantly more variable just because carbs are energy. So the more energy you expend, the more, I mean, you know, if you have infinite energy expenditure, your carb intake could also be infinite theoretically. Now that is not the case, but it just goes to show like, you know, for someone who's more sedentary, you probably don't need as many like me, for example, I go hard in the gym, which is why I have, you know, a big pre-workout meal to help fuel that. And then a big post-workout meal with a bunch of carbs. And then typically I tend to scale my carbs down a little bit outside of that. I still want to, at this phase at least, keep myself in a little bit of a surplus. But, um, you know, I'm not continuing to be super active the rest of the day. So I don't get as much benefit out of that. So there's definitely a relationship there between your activity, your recovery needs also. So if you go really, really hard in the gym, you have a good post-workout meal. Great. With a lot of carbs. Well, your body still probably needs more than that afterwards if you want to grow. If you just want to maintain, that's fine. That's a different story altogether. But um, I will typically, you know, if somebody's trying to grow, I'm going to try and throw carbs in all their meals just to make sure that they've always got enough gas in the tank to fuel recovery. Um, uh, Charlotte continues, heard that proteins are the building blocks of nature. Um, yeah, I think that's something that we all learned in like, uh, you know, like middle school biology. That was one of those things like, you know, the, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That's like the only thing that I remember from the eighth grade or sixth grade or whatever it was. Thank God. I don't want to remember anything else from that time period. It was awful. I do remember that it was awful. Only other thing I remember, mitochondria, powerhouse of the cell. That's it. Um, so that, that's another one of those things. Proteins are the building blocks of nature. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, I, w- I would say carbon is the building block of nature because 
uh, all life on the planet is carbon based, um, but whatever. Um, <laughs> we're, we're splitting hairs. Um, what do amino acids have to do with this? So amino amino acids are the building blocks of protein. Um, how how are amino acids defined? Um, that's something that I want to I want to get the uh, get the Google definition of that and make sure I get it right here. Organic compounds, so again, they are carbon based, um, that contain both amino and carboxylic acid functional groups. Hundreds of amino acids exist in nature. By far the most important are the alphas, which comprise proteins. 22 alpha amino acids appear in the genetic code. Now, that is interesting um, because um, that, that raises a question. What is missing from this list? So um, this list says there are 21 amino acids um, that... Um, comprise proteins. This says there are 22 that appear in the genetic code. So what is the other one? I wonder if I can do like an AB list or something like that. I don't know. Um, probably not worth it. One of them is going to be missing. I don't know. Um, which then raises the question like, hold on, Darren, you skipped over that. Essential amino acids? Non-essential? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's three, as far as bodybuilders are concerned, there's three types of amino acids that we're concerned about to the extent that anybody listening out there might be concerned about any of them. There's three classifications. Essential, non-essential, branch chain. We all know branch chain, right? BCAAs, branch chain amino acids. There are three of those. Um, and they are, I would say, like the king of the amino acids. So um, those are uh, valine, leucine, isoleucine. Um, I always want to throw um, lysine in there as well. I don't know why, but I, I always do. Um, anyway, uh, and usually those are going to be in a two to one to one ratio in a BCAA product. That's kind of standard. Um, so those three branch chain are among the um hold on where did that other thing go i had this listed because i always forget this crap you know um there we go yeah um so there are 21 amino acids that we're concerned about for protein synthesis right so as as uh protein is the building blocks of nature amino acids are what um proteins are made of we talked about complete proteins before um complete proteins which can be a little bit of an issue if you're trying to follow a plant-based diet just accessibility um of of complete proteins um so you need a complete protein in the body in order for it to be able to engage in or partake in protein synthesis in the body which we need for muscle development or or preservation so there's 21 amino acids that are in protein. 22 are in our genetic DNA, apparently, according to this other article, but whatever. Um, of those, nine of them are considered essential, meaning that your body doesn't produce them and they have to be taken in through your diet. So those are the ones that are most important. And of those nine, three of them are your branch chain amino acids. So those are the ones are considered like the most important of the nine essential, which are the most important dietarily of the 21 total. I mean, so there's a hierarchy here. Why are those three more important than the rest of the nine? You're getting into organic chemistry now that is beyond my pay grade. I don't know. So I will just full stop. Don't know. And I would say also you're getting into a situation there where it's like, as a, as a computer operator, do you need to know how the transistors in your processor work? Probably not. Might it be interesting? Sure. But is that essential? No, it's really not. So that's kind of like where my level of curiosity stops. It's like, okay, cool. As soon as it looks like I'm pulling up pages that belong in a chemistry, chemistry textbook, that's where I check out. Because, uh, again, 
above my pay grade. So, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, and actually, that, that's that's pretty much her question there. So, um, so just a little bit of a, a bringing up to speed on on macros and why you know why they're different and why you can't necessarily just transfer from one column to another. Um, you know, the ratios of these things are pretty important. They also have different functions. They serve different utilities for dieting as well. Like protein is. Uh, some people have different opinions on this. I, I don't understand how there's a variance of opinion on this, but a protein is the most filling macronutrient by far. So um, with shakes being an exclusion for that, like a protein shake never fills me up. I've never been filled up by a protein shake in my life. But like a big solid food meal based around a whole food protein source? Yeah, absolutely. So um, fats don't fill me up. Um, you know what does fill me up besides just protein sources? Volume food volume fills me up. So therefore, um, you know, carbs can bring volume unless you drink your carbs, in which case they're not bringing volume. So there, there's good ways and bad ways um, to implement all of these macros. And by good and bad, I mean more or less effective to hit whatever goal you're trying to get, which if your goal is to, well, you know, I want to operate a, a deficit without feeling like I'm starving. Okay, well, that that's a certain set of macros, but also food selection within those macro structures, that's going to be more optimal for that, right? So you want to have higher protein, higher carb, lower fats, you know, not nothing, but the fats don't really help satiate you. And so uh, you will find it's pretty much a staple of most bodybuilding diets out there that are that are designed for cutting or operating at a deficit. They're going to be more restricted in dietary fats than anything else, just because we still got to get some calories in. Those are less useful as long as we're above a certain threshold. And I'd say like 30 to 40 grams, you're not going to go deficient in any of the fat-soluble vitamins, so you're good. Beyond that, it's just extra calories, and we could put them to better use in the other categories. Now, there's personal preference in that where some people will be like, you know, I really love dietary fats just as a preference. Uh, carbs, they don't really do a whole lot for me. Okay, fair. That We can accommodate that shift. I always play to what people most commonly struggle with, which is on a deficit appetite management. So we always want to be more aggressive with foods that are going to bring more volume um, into a meal and worry less about things that just add flavor. And that's usually the, the role of fats is to add flavor to a meal. So whew, that's a lot. I just talked for what felt like an hour and a half straight. So I hope it wasn't an hour and a half because nobody's going to listen to that. Oh my God. I need to go get up and move anyway. I don't think I'm supposed to be sitting for 90 minutes consecutively after this procedure today. So I'm going to get up and walk around. I thank you all for listening to episode 210 of the drop set and we will be back. Oh, when will we be back? I think we'll be back probably next week.